see. I'll, I'll go ahead and read the same passage from Luke 14 that I read last time because that's the only one I have. So maybe if you want to sneak me another one next time. Oh, before I get going, uh, we will not meet next Sunday. I've got my 40th reunion at Sewanee, which is hard to believe. And it's my first one that I've ever been to, so I think I'm, <laughs> I'm about due. So, But we will add it on the back side. So we'll skip this one and then we'll do the next two after that. Is that right? Okay. Luke 14, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Well, last time we uh, we did A Good Man is Hard to Find, and I did a little introduction to myself and, <clears throat> and talking about <clears throat> excuse my own exposure to to grace God's action in this world. And we close with that great ending of A Good Man is Hard to Find. If you missed that, be sure to read that story. And as we uh, as we said, the, the misfit, the killer, was just he was just a scared little boy again. They talked about his red rimmed eyes and that and that the grandmother scared him to death that he could handle anything, uh, any kind of abuse but love. He just he knew what love could do to you. Love you know, because the love he had for his mother, uh, he uh, he killed his father, and uh, it was uh, it's a very powerful scene. And the and the woman who gets them killed, gets the whole family killed, is the one who receives that sh- what Flannery called the shocking and inexplicable presence of grace. Well, the story I'd like to base what I'm looking at is trying to do is kind of got a main story, and then if I have time, I've got a, a shorter story that I can put in at the end and maybe we can get you know five six seven stories done can you tell we've done a lot of teaching and this one is in good shape i've got the one is is school that's got all kinds of notes is really falling apart well this is uh this is one of my favorite stories it's called good country people and it's it's very famous and again for those of you that were that were not able to come last time um It's uh, we're talking, focusing on uh, the three central words in Flannery, which are mystery, manners, and the grotesque. And the mystery is the mystery of God's grace. Sorry, noise here. Uh, and somebody in every one of Flannery's stories receives grace. And the way you look for it is uh, somebody's linked with peacocks or the tree line. And it's just always like that. It may not be whom you think deserves it, but that's just uh, that's part of it. God, God knows something that we don't. And then the ma- the manners is a synecdoche or a part standing for the whole for the setting, and that's the South. We're known for our good manners, and you've got to set your story somewhere. But don't call her a Southern writer, a Georgia writer, regional writer, because that's I'm leaving right now. Okay, that's Mark. You take over. I'm out of here. <laughs> this guy's fabulous, y'all. If, you have, if you've missed him, you go. Be sure to take catch one sometime. And then the grotesque is. Uh, did you give him a sheet? Okay, thank you. And the grotesque is her style. And uh, as she said on that sheet that I handed out. For the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you paint large and startling figures. And so the grotesque is to get your attention. It's not to gross you out like Hollywood tries to do, but it's to say this matters, this is important. And so uh, we talked about that last week with The Good Man is Hard to Find, and that just the, the, that shocking ending there where uh, <clears throat> the misfit kills the grandmother. 
shoots her three times because uh, he, he he scares her. But as we as we said that, uh, and what I read that quotation from Flannery is that uh, it is the extreme situation that shows what we are essentially. And gr- the grandmother had to face the prospect of death to have all this false nonsense about manners and things like that. Kind of you know what's what are good people and what are common people. All that stripped away, and you have to re- focus on what is what can I take to eternity with me and she just reached out to him and she's like you're just you're one of my babies i mean this guy who's killed her family and she's just said what what did they do to you to, to get turn you into you know a monster like that excuse me christ figure, oh yes yes and so christ figure how well the granny uh-huh. is a christ figure because here she's she's faced this monster having killed her family and yet as though she had already forgiven him mm-hmm. she's reaching out to that's him right with love and love which is what christ did on the cross exactly. especially when he said father forgive them for they know not exactly what they do. and in a sense she was doing that with with the killer just saying exactly what, you're what one of my babies what happened to you and so that was a very christ figure Mm-hmm. Moment. Yeah, great. Exactly. Good. All right. Well, good country people. This is one of her most famous stories, and we and we're basically talking about uh, Mrs. Hopewell, and she has a come on in, come on in. You don't want bothers, and she has a daughter named Joy, but she's uh, very unjoyful, and they've got some uh, there's some sharecroppers or whatever. The Freemans work on the farm. And as I said last time, I think Charles Dickens and Flannery are probably the best with names I've ever, ever seen. Uh, Mrs. Freeman's daughters are Glennies and Caramay. But, but Joy called them glycerin and caramel. She didn't, she didn't think much of the names. And she didn't like her own name because she's very unjoyful. And so she changes her name to Holga. And if that's your mama's name, I think it's beautiful. But, but the mother thinks that, uh, <laughs> That it's the, probably the ugliest name in any language because she's got a serious attitude problem. She's, she's overweight. She's got a wooden leg. Her leg was accidentally shot off, you know, in a hunting accident when she was young. And so there's the grotesque right off, okay? And, uh, Joy would stare to the side of her eyes an icy blue with the look of someone who has achieved blindness by an act of will. And means to keep it. Now, watch for the central symbols as we get into it. She has blinded herself. Her remarks were usually so ugly and her face so glum that Mrs. Hopewell would say, If you can't come pleasantly, I don't want you at all. To which the girl, standing square and rigid shouldered with her neck thrust slightly forward, would reply, If you want me, here I am, like I am. So every day's a bad day for Holga because she doesn't think there can be any joy in her life, being overweight and, you know, with a wooden leg and everything. Um, <clears throat> so it, she changed her name to Holga. When Holga stumped into the kitchen, now that's a very un, un politically incorrect name. Un, Either that was a blind spot by Flannery, but she was too smart. I think she meant that, stumping in the kitchen. That's, you know, it's not, she would get hammered today over that with her, with her leg. Uh, somebody asked her one time, who were some influence, literary influences? And of course, she, Faulkner's always the first name out. And some other things, she said, mentioned Poe. And, uh, somebody said, Poe, really? Uh, what do you like about Poe? And she said, I like his humorous tales. <laughs> <laughs> now the guy sitting next 
which ones exactly? <laughs> I mean, humor is not one of Poe's strong suits, but something like that stumping in maybe is a little Poe-esque there. She could walk without making the awful noise, but she made it. I mean, you know, bump, 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 here I come, and yes, I'm ugly, and it's a bad day, and I'm in a bad mood. Kind of reminds me of Captain Ahab. Do you remember Moby Dick, how he would, at night, the sailors hear him just driving down that ivory peg just to emphasize it. The opposite of Laura Wingfield in the Glass Menagerie, who just tries to minimize her leg brace, but to her it just sounded like thunder. Okay? The doctors had told Mrs. Hopewell that with the, the best, I'm not going to lecture like, like Mark just off the top of my head. I mean, I, I, I just got to teach out of the book. I'm just pretend this is a class if that's okay. Had told Mrs. Hopewell that with the best of care, Joy might see 45. She had a weak heart. Well, again, that's Part of the reason why she's so depressed. She knows she's not going to live long. She has a weak heart, but that's a double entendre. She has not just a physical weak heart, but her heart is spiritually weak. That she doesn't realize that there's any, she doesn't realize there's a God. She doesn't believe there's any choice or a chance of hope and happiness in her life. Joy had made it plain that if it had not been for this condition, she would have been far from these red hills and good country people. And then she cries out, Malbranche was right. We are not our own light. We are not our own light. And that's a French philosopher, I believe, right? Now, 17th century. I knew I going to the right person. And so you're going to see with Holga sometimes, she will say something. She means it one way, but it has more truth to it. And what she's going to realize is that she's not her own light, that she does not have all the answers. She didn't like dogs or cats or birds or flowers or nature or nice young men. How many, where'd she hear that from? Her mother. Why can't you find some nice young man? She, she looked at nice young men as if she could smell their stupidity. Is that not, that's just a pure flannery line right there. Smelling stupidity. Got a little bit of synesthesia, right? Okay, and then now the plot gets moved. Gets a knock on the door and it's a Bible salesman. Traveling Bible salesman. He was not a bad looking young man, though he had on a bright blue suit and yellow socks that were not pulled up far enough. So a little minor grotesque. We, at BUS, we had a math teacher had these electric suits. I remember, uh, and it's just like we tease him, where do you plug him? You plug him in at night and he kind of had some bright socks go with it and, and, uh, that was about the most enjoyable part of that math class that I can remember. I, did, I, I still don't understand trigonometry. But anyway, so, so he, he knocks on there. He's a traveling Bible salesman. And he says, uh, he, he glanced up into Holga's unfriendly face. And he gives her warning. People like you don't like to fool with country people like me. So, you know, he's saying, like, you think you're bad. You haven't seen bad. And he's a traveling Bible salesman. And okay, so uh, if you're a salesman, what's the key moment? You've got to get your foot in the door. It's like not interested. Or, you know, right now on the phone, don't want it, don't want it. Don't The knee jerk is whatever it is. I don't want it and I don't need it, okay? And that he says the one thing, I got this heart condition. I may not live long. Well, see, that's the one thing that could have gotten him in because he's like her beloved sweet daughter, right? Now, how do you, how do you think he knew to say that? First of all, he's got a heart condition. He doesn't have one. I mean, you open him up, he's hollow. It's just like cathedral caverns or something, right? But how did he know to say that? Well, critical thinking here. If you're if you're a traveling Bible salesman, I had a friend who did it. He sold dictionary encyclopedias one summer, 
that's a hard way to make a living just walking and walking forever and he had dogs sicked on him and all kinds of stuff and he had say he was talking to some woman at lunch and her husband came home and suspected the worst and got his gun and chased him down the road and stuff. It was a fortunately he was a good distance runner, so he, he survived it. How did he know that? Don't you know that at the, at the previous place, right? The previous sale. Tell me about those folks up there. Oh, that's Holga's mom. Oh, she's daughter's got a heart condition and stuff. He and Joy had the same condition. She knew that her eyes were filling with tears, but she collected herself quickly and murmured, "Won't you stay for dinner?" I mean, so he he is in now, right? So he he gets fed, and then he starts putting a move on Holga. Moves on her. How old are you? She waited some time before she answered. Okay, ladies, why the pause? <laughs> How badly can I lie and get away with it, right? In a flat voice, she said, 17? Well, she's in her early 30s, okay? But she, she thinks she can maybe fake through that. She didn't take... Okay, so anyway, they, he, just, he asked her out on a date. And she is like, sweet 31, and... You know, never had a date, never been kissed or anything. So they go out, decide to go on a picnic. She didn't, she didn't take anything to eat, forgetting that food is usually taken on a picnic. I'm, she's a little inexperienced, isn't she? She wore a pair of slacks and a dirty white shirt. Didn't even get any clean clothes on. And then after thought, now this is what's pure flannery right here, okay? Some things just jump out at you. And as an afterthought, she put some Vapex on the collar of it since she did not own any perfume. I mean, that's like what, Vicks Vapor Rub? Okay, so Chanel number five, it's not exactly this. This will get him excited. He just rubs that on there. It's just like, man, that's flannery right there. As I was saying last time, uh, you want another example of flannery? Go down I-65 about... Across from Thorsby, you know that silhouette of the of the Grim Reaper out by that lake on the hill, and go to church, or the devil will get you. I said, Flannery would have put that in a story. I mean, she would have been all over that. So anyway, so he he kisses her then very heavily. They go out walking. The kiss, which had more pressure behind than feeling behind it, produced that extra surge of adrenaline in the girl that enables one to carry a packed trunk out of a burning house. But if she's never been kissed, a whoop, you know, just those hormones just pop the top of her head off. But in her, the power went at once to the brain. Uh, I had a, a aunt. Daisy living in Scottsboro, the Caldwell family. If you've ever been up in Scottsboro, there are a lot of Caldwells up there. And she's kind of typical Palmer size, about five feet tall, you know, 90 pounds dripping wet. And when she was about 16, you know, y'all ever seen those giant iron pots, cauldrons they used to do the washing in and everything in the old days? And she was doing the wash out one day and uh, it was full of water. And so, <clears throat> she heard some screams and she looked up and the house was on fire. And she got that cauldron and she dragged it up to the house and poured the water on the flames. Uh, after his flames were out, she couldn't lift it empty. So, I mean, that adrenaline, it's a, it's a great thing. Uh, another example, my first year teaching at Randolph, uh, I had a, uh, ninth grade girl, Allison, and I was, her, uh, her dad was changing a flat on a VW bug 
now that's a small car, but it's still a car, right? And so he's underneath it, and the jack slipped, and it came down on his arm, and it crushed his arm, and he's screaming. And my little petite Allison got under that bumper, and she lifted the car off her father. True story. So sometimes, you know, you don't have the time to say, am I capable of doing this? You just do it, right? So anyway, she's been kissed, had that big adrenaline rush, and uh, they uh, start walking out, and they go out, uh, and he takes her out into the hayloft for the, of the barn. That's never a good thing, right? <laughs> never a good thing. But he takes her out there, and then she, she's kissing him again and again as if she were trying to draw all the breath out of him. His breath was clear and sweet like a child's. And the kisses were sticky like a child's. Then he whispers, you ain't said you love me none. You got to say that. Well, that tells us something about how this guy got messed up, right? Okay. Is that, uh, you know, something, a bad childhood. Back with, like with the misfit, you know, where watching his dad, uh, you know, beat up his mom and he ends up having to kill his dad. And it's just had to, just scarred him so badly. So he needs, he just needs <clears throat> some love. You got to say that. She didn't realize she had taken off her glasses. He got to say, you love me. So now <clears throat> she gets in a philosophical discussion. Well, and she just stops time out from, from all the hugging and kissing. And she gets philosophical, right? And by the way, she was a, a philosophy major, which is kind of ironic because, you know, that's the love of knowledge and she doesn't know anything, does she? She says, well, in a, in a sense, if you word, use the word loosely, you might say that. But it's not a word I use. I don't have illusions. I'm one of those people who see through to nothing. And a more kind of dramatic irony of what she's saying, there's more truth to it than she thought. That she, she is blind to things. Okay, And she says, we're all damned, but some of us have taken off our blindfolds and see that there's nothing to see. It's kind of a salvation. And again, she's going to be taking her blindfolds off. Still some, uh, some uh, wisdom to what she's saying. Well, they in the hayloft, and then he starts saying he wants to see her wooden leg and where it kind of latches on to it, you know. And the guy's weird. I mean, he's really, he's a sick puppy. So he wants, she wants her to take off her wooden leg. And now we get to what Flannery called the heart of the story. She said, always look for the heart of the story. She was as sensitive about the artificial leg as a peacock about his tail. Well, boom. We know who's receiving salvation. This is the clearest example, I think, in all of Flannery of who gets saved. No one ever touched it but her. She took care of it as someone else would his soul. Well, she's the one, right? And then he says, maybe the only true thing he says in the whole thing, it's what makes you different. You ain't like anybody else. <clears throat> and everybody is unique, right? Well, we've got some good symbols in the story. <clears throat> you know, we've got... Uh, you know, uh, we're going to find that he's got a hollow Bible. The hollow Bible is a symbol of her hollow soul. Her wooden legs, your central symbol, and so kind of her wooden soul. And she has to have this wooden soul stripped away from her before she can realize that she's got a real soul, a true one. Uh, and uh, her glasses are going to be an important symbol too. And his heart, 
his heart, his missing heart will be. So you've got about four central symbols. She decided for the first time in her life that she was face to face with real innocence. Wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong. This traveling Bible salesman is just, he's a satanic evil. This boy with an instinct that came from beyond wisdom had touched the truth about her. When after a minute, she said in a hoarse, high voice, All right. It was like surrendering to him completely. Here's a key line. It was like losing her own life and finding it again miraculously in his. And there is the miracle of God's grace. She's the one receiving salvation. Uh, that shocking and inexplicable presence of grace. And so, anyway, she takes the leg off so that he can look at it. And then he pulls out this black suitcase that's got a blue, pale blue spotted lining in it. I think that that's a false grace, a false sky. And he is not the one receiving grace. He's kind of spotty thing. And there are only two Bibles in it. He took one of these out and opened the cover of it. It was hollow and contained a pocket flask of whiskey. Well, that's kind of just another important symbol that he's got a hollow soul. And there's some various items in here that I don't think of. With the youth here, I don't think it'd be a good thing to go into right now. But uh, anyway, the hollow Bible is a good symbol. And so the, he takes her leg and he just puts it in the suitcase. He starts packing up, getting ready to go. I mean, and she starts screaming, Give me back my leg! Give me back my leg! I mean, she's just shredded up there in the hayloft. Her face was almost purple, which as we know is a good religious color, right? Advent folks. You're a Christian. You're a fine Christian. You're just like them all. Say one thing and do another. You're a perfect Christian. You're, the boy's mouth was set angrily. So now all this false appearance, and Jesus throws all that away. I hope you don't think, he said in a lofty, indignant tone, probably another little bit of humor about Flannery, that I believe in that crap. <clears throat> I may sell Bibles, but I know which end is up. And I wasn't born yesterday. And I know where I'm going. Yeah, I know where he's going too. You know, straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. He's a lost soul, right? He slammed the lid shut and snatched up the valise and swung it down the hole and then stepped through himself. Now, how about the impact of setting? What's the importance of him stepping through down that hayloft and stepping down? What's she doing with her? What's she using her setting for there? It's like symbolic he's doing what? Entering hell, right? Okay. And then he has to get one last little shot at her before he leaves. He says, I've gotten a lot of interesting things. One time I got a woman's glass eye this way. I mean, he is so perverted. I mean, you look up the word perverted in the dictionary. It's got his picture. A man, man, his name's Manly Pointer. And you just see Manly Pointer's name and picture there. I use a different name at every house I call at. And don't stay nowhere long. And I'll tell you another thing. Holga, he said, using the name as if he didn't think much of it. You ain't so smart. I've been believing in nothing ever since I was born. Well, Mark, what do we call somebody who believes in nothing? Nihilist, right? Nihil, nothing. Now, I don't know how those people live. I mean, why do you get up out of bed in the morning? I mean, if nothing matters, that's always been kind of a mystery to me, right? 
And then, let's see. And then he takes, he leaves. And, and what Flannery will often do is she'll leave, end a story with kind of a minor, minor grotesque. And Mrs. Hopewell sees Manly Pointer walking off. And she says, uh, he was so simple. But I guess the world would be better off if we were all that simple. So she's clueless. And then she reached down and got an evil smelling onion shoot that was she was lifting from the ground. It's just the un, evil smelling onion shoot's kind of a symbol of him. Okay? Well, it's a great story. Job, any questions about that? Any comments? But it, poor Holga, I mean, the, the irony is she's. She's left stranded without a leg up in the hayloft, but she's the, the lost one is the saved one. And the one that, you know, gets away is lost as he can be. All right. Well, pardon me? How is she saved? Well, just she's the God, God's going to take her to heaven. She's going to be going to heaven. That's just, what, she she's received grace. No, she doesn't die. She didn't die, but she's 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 elected, which kind of reminds me of the doctrine of the elect with the Puritans. I, with the way that she does it here, it's almost like you know that predestination. She's destined for heaven. No, she will not die in the hayloft. I hope. I hope somebody will hear her so screaming. That's right. That's right. And, and t- she's different. Flannery's different from any religious writer you'll ever come across. It's, but she's like, but she is, she's going to be receiving salvation. And uh, just like in another one, here's another one of my favorite stories. <clears throat> Excuse me, the life you save may be your own. And uh, here again, it goes with this. We've got another wandering guy going around, going down the road, and his name's uh, Tom T. Shiftlet. Isn't that a great name? Yeah. I mean, you just know he's shifty. You not, just know he's a bad boy, isn't he? All right, so we've got an old woman and a daughter, and they uh, and they live off this desolate farm all by themselves, and they see this man walking down the dirt road. He was a tramp, no one to be afraid of. A little bit of irony. His left coat sleeve was folded up to show there was only half an arm in it, and his gaunt figure listed slightly to the side as if the breeze were pushing him. So he's missing an arm, so there's the grotesque there. Okay, the daughter was a large girl in a short blue organdy dress. Got a little clue there, right? Linking with the skyline, and she began to stamp and make excited speechless sounds. Uh, he had a long black slick of hair that was parted in the middle, to behind the tips, beyond the tips of his ears on other side. Kind of an alfalfa look, I guess, right? Uh, anyway. Uh, Let's see. His figure formed a crooked cross. I think that's a pretty good phrase for Flannery and microcosm. A crooked cross. The crooked would be... How's that summarize her? Crooked. Her writing. Well, the cross is her religion, right? And the crooked, I think, is the little twist of the grotesque that she uses. So I think that summarizes her. Okay? And then the, uh, the daughter... Had a had long pink gold hair and eyes as blue as a peacock's neck. So this large, mentally challenged daughter is going to be the one receiving grace. You won't like this either. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. He offered the old woman a piece, <laughs> but she only raised her upper lip to indicate she had no teeth. All right. So now Tom T. Shuffer comes onto this farm and he looks and there's an there's a old rusting car, an abandoned car there, and that gets his attention there. And so he says, "Name Tom T. Shiftley. 
And then the old woman, the woman says, name Lucy Nell Crater. Isn't that a great name? And her daughter's name, Lucy Nell Crater. I guess Junior or whatever, right? <laughs> Names are great. Um, and he, Tom T. Shiftless says, there's one of these doctors in Atlanta that's taken a knife and cut the human heart out of a man's chest and held in his hand and studied like it was a day-old chicken. He don't know more about it than you or me. <clears throat> um and so he's from Tarwater, Tennessee. Of course, black is evil. He's got black hair. He's from Tarwater, right? And so uh, he starts saying, you know, are you? Uh, can I get a job around here? And she says, uh, well, I can give you, I can feed you, give me a place to sleep, but I can't pay, but you'll have to sleep in the car. So the place to sleep is a car and, and food, right? And so he hangs around. He worked in an undertaking parlor in the armed service. A fat yellow moon appeared in the branches of the fig trees. They were going to roost there with the chickens. Are you married or are you single? Well, Mama starts thinking, right? She wants to marry off her daughter. There was a long silence. That's kind of a no-answer answer, right? The daughter was leaning very far down, hanging her head almost between her knees, watching through a triangular door she'd made in her overturned hair. She's, you know, just got her hair down there. Then she suddenly fell in the heap and began to whimper. Um, let's see. An old woman says, uh, any man come after her, I'll have to stay around the place. So, uh, anyway, so he decides to stay on there a few days and he patches up the steps, built a new hog pen, restored the fence. And, uh, baby Lucy Nell was completely deaf among her other problems, bless her heart, had never said in a word in her life, but he teaches her to say the word bird. Another clue, right? Another link with a peacock. So she just starts running around the farm going, Bird! 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 And Mama said, My baby's talking. My baby's talking. So the Mama's just all excited now. He taught her my baby how to talk. And so he gets the car running, which is his main son. Okay? And, uh, and then he asks, How old is she? He asks. Fifteen. 16, of course she's nearly 30, right? It's kind of similar stories, right? And so Lucy Nell, baby Lucy Nell's going around crying bird. And, uh, and so the mama starts saying, well, she'd make a good wife. You know, she can't talk back to you or anything. <laughs> Some people wouldn't like her this flannery these days. Okay, well, anyway, so the, the woman, the mama says, Saturday, you and me and her can drive into town and get married. It's just like there's no proposal or anything. And Tom T. Schiffer says, I don't have any money. He says, I wouldn't marry no woman that I couldn't take on a trip like she was somebody. I mean to take her to a hotel and treat her. Give her something good to eat. Okay? And so now that Mama and Tom T. Schiffer start bargaining, right? You know, how, mu how much do I have to pay you to take my daughter, Right? Okay, and Mama says, well, you'd be getting a permanent house because he has to live here with Mama and a deep well and the most innocent girl in the world. Well, that's true. You don't need no money. Okay, there ain't no place in the world for a poor, disabled, friendless, drifting man. Ooh, gets in a little dagger to him, right? The ugly words settled in Mr. Shiflet's head like a group of buzzards in the top of a tree. Uh, well, anyway, so... Uh, he, he, she says, well, you can, you can paint the car on Saturday. I'll, I'll, I'll paint the car. Okay. How about that? 
In the darkness, Mr. Shiflet's smile stretched like a weary snake waking up by a fire. He said, I'd like to take my wife for off for a weekend without no regards at all for her cause. We've got to have a honeymoon, right? <laughs> Mama says, I'll give you $15 for a weekend trip. That's the best I can do. And Tom T. Shiflet says, it wouldn't feed her. Okay, seventeen fifty. That's all I got. Then he used to try to milk me. You can take a lunch. So he gets seven for their honeymoon. He gets seventeen fifty and a sack lunch, right? Okay. Anyway, he says I'll make that do. So they go to the justice of the peace, and he looked morose and bitter as if he'd been insulted. That didn't satisfy me none. It's just paperwork and blood tests. What do they know about my blood? If they was to take my heart and cut it out. They wouldn't know a thing about me. He's, in a way, kind of trying to push towards a little understanding of a spiritual life, but uh, he's not there. So anyway, Lucy Nell dressed up in a white dress, and she's going on a going on their honeymoon. And a mama starts crying because she'd never been parted from her for two days before. They've got a two-day honeymoon coming up. So they go driving in the car, and a car won't go more than 30 miles an hour. Uh and so, of course, Lucy now has already eaten a sack. She eats a sack lunch immediately. Then she, and she, she's got this kind of Panama hat with cherries on it. She starts trying to eat the cherries. I mean, bless her heart. She's just not, it's, uh, doesn't have too much to work with there. And so they stop at a place called the Hot Spot. Got to get some barbecue in there. It's a southern story, right? And so he gets her something to eat. And, uh, she's sitting there at the counter. And the boy there who's serving him says she looks like an angel of God with her golden hair and everything. Another clue there. And Tom T. Shiflet says, Hitchhiker, I can't wait. I got to make Tuscaloosa. The boy bent over again and touched a strand of her golden hair. And so Tom T. Shiflet just leaves her at the counter. I mean, she doesn't know her name. She doesn't know her phone number. She doesn't know where she lives. She is left stranded like Holga there at the counter rather than the hayloft, right? But he drives, and he goes driving down, probably 65, right about where I was talking about with that, with that uh, guy. And the sign says, drive carefully. The life you save may be your own. And so he goes, and he picks up a hitchhiker, this teenage boy. And the... And Tom T. Shiflet says, Son, I got the best old mother in the world, so I reckon you only got the second best. I'm, I'm not quite sure if that's just kind of like with the misfit, whether his mother was horrible. I, I don't know if she was great or horrible anyway. And so he keeps talking about it's nothing so sweet as a boy's mother. She give you love when nobody else will. <clears throat> and he just keeps talking about mamas. And then the boy turned angrily in the seat. You go to the devil. My old woman's a flea bag, and yours is a stinking polecat. He flung the door open and jumped out the suitcase with his suitcase into the ditch. Mitchell Swift was so shocked that he, for about a hundred feet, he drove along with the door still open. A cloud, the exact color of the boy's hat, and shaped like a turnip, same ending as the other story, right? Minor symbol of grace, had descended over the sun and another worse looking crouched behind the car. Mr. Shiflet felt, <clears throat> felt that the rottenness of the world was about to engulf him. The tournament continued slowly to descend and then crashed over the rear of Mr. Shiflet's car. Quickly stepped on the gas and with his stump sticking out the window, 
He raced the galloping shower into Mobile. The last thing we see is that grotesque. So um, anyway, all right. So again, the the lost one. I know. I know you don't like it. She's stranded. She's she's saved. She's going to receive salvation. The lame shall enter first. See, you gotta you gotta Luke, right? It's in the Bible. It's got to be right there. But what's being saved about being stranded in a? Just. But in her story, how does she just? How does she? They don't. They don't go to heaven in her story. She just tell you who's going to heaven. Well, it sounds like they're stranded and left in a terrible way. They are. They are. And that's the that's the paradox. That's the irony in the story. And the paradox is that in this temporal world, they're in a mess for a while. But God has picked them out and said, you're one of mine. So that's what matters. So how do your students respond to these kind of endings? Oh, they love them. They love stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they think it's just bizarre. Oh, she's going to heaven. What's happier than that? It may be a while, but she'll get... Yes, sir. Well, like in Holga, the, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to follow along with uh-huh. you right. pieces. But um, they're back to innocence because Holga had a PhD in philosophy. In philosophy, right. Here she's now really seeing someone who's lost. Or, 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 so, and so in a sense, and even and the other woman at the counter, I mean, mm-hmm. Sometimes that falseness has to be stripped away. Like with the grandmother in A Good Man is Hard to Find. That false feeling of, of manners and wh- wh- who are common people and who are, you know, a good man and stuff because they've got good breeding and, you know, family line and stuff. Some, or the wooden, Holga's wooden leg. Sometimes that falseness has to be stripped away from you before you realize what really matters. And it's, that's the soul. And that's what's going to get you to heaven. And in, in contrast to having that and rece- receiving salvation, that other stuff just doesn't really matter much to, to Flannery. But just, you know, she went to, we said she went to church every day in Milledgeville, Georgia. And you can still go there, and, and at her at her farm, Andalusia is still there, and the peacocks are still. She raised peacocks, and they're still running around. And so maybe they'll be molting again, and you can get yourself one like I did. It's just, uh, it, and in the library they've got some a lot of movies of hers that she can go see. Life. Devout Catholic died at 39 of lupus, but before she died. One of the great short story writers. Well, let me knock off. Y'all have got to get to church. But I've got a great story for you next time. Greenleaf. And it's one you probably haven't heard about. But it's one of her best stories. And it's uh, uh, the ending may make more sense to you here.